Hello, welcome back to the Floating Through Film Podcast. Uh, I am your host, Luke, and today is our final installment um, in this uh, in our series on the basically our intro series on the French New Wave. We hope to return to this sometime to you know when we when we know more about uh, the French New Wave because this is kind of more of a intro course and uh, um, basically and today we're basically just going to be uh, recapping our French New Wave, you know, reflecting on it really. And then we also all picked one movie that uh, we wanted to talk about that we might have missed during uh, this uh, this series and uh, just discuss them all. So uh, I'm here with my podcast hosts, Danny Hello. and Blake. What's up? To start off, I think we should just talk about uh, our takeaways, uh, what we've learned basically from the French New Wave. So what, do you guys, what have you guys learned? I guess uh, when you ask that question, the first thing that comes to my mind is um experimentation like being yeah. um i don't know just for a lack of a better word to use being bold with your filmmaking oh yeah you know like um doing i guess you know the whole concept of authorship and everything what we've talked over the last few weeks but um not being afraid to show your personality in a mm-hmm. movie even at the expense of if someone was just watching it in isolation they just might like say oh why is that in there you know that's a yeah. that's a bad part of the movie or something you know yeah but like, if you watch over the course of a director's filmography, then you can start saying, oh, see, I see their personality. Like, yeah. uh, I guess, like, one way is, like, in motifs, you know, where each, like, for, like, Chris Marker and uh, Varda is, like, cats, right? They yeah. always have cats in all their movies. Like, cats and owls. Or yeah, at least yeah. Marker owls, yeah. yeah. Or owls, too, for Marker, yeah. But all these directors have them. Like, yeah. Godard, it's just, like, weird editing moments, you know, with the soundtrack or something. Oh, but yeah. Every, all of them have Godard's just everything, to be honest. But yeah, he, so that's what I'm saying. Like, he's, like, probably the extreme like yeah. uh, in terms of experimentation but i like all of their like i see it in all of them even yeah, in someone sure. like romer who's uh if on first surface level you might say all their movies are the same you know yeah. but you can see it in all their movies like the way they're experimenting and like yeah. what they're trying to do that's new or bold etc so yeah, yeah. Um, no you literally kind of took the took the words out of my <laughs> mouth for uh at least the second part of yours where you said they aren't afraid to do what they want to do Yes. Like, and that's the yeah. big thing that my takeaway was, is none of these people were afraid to just make the movie they wanted to make, and they didn't care who was who thought what they were going to think, you know? Like, they didn't care about other people's opinions, they just wanted to make the movie they wanted to make, and they knew that that would connect with certain people. Oh, and, yeah. I mean, it was bold at the time for them to do that, because they were just going straight against the studio system in France, you know? Like, still you, like now, they, yeah. It still is bold now. Like, you can't even really... Like, a lot of people try to do that, but you can't do... Like, a lot of people just don't succeed in doing what they did. And it's just, it's honestly pretty crazy, so that's, that's, that was my overall takeaway, my, my, my favorite takeaway from this. Yeah, and honestly, movie. yeah, I, I agree with both of you guys, that, that's definitely one of my takeaways, um, but another one that might be more interesting, because uh, I don't think it's talked about as much, is that, uh, to me, um, I think their movies use, uh, basically, um, their movies basically, it's basically on the topic of their movies are ingrained, like, they use Paris, basically. The way they use Paris and, like, you know, just France in general. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've never seen, like, how they do it before. They're always, like, using, like, um, it always just feels like uh, wherever they're shooting at, um, no matter what. Uh, they ingrain it really well in their movies. It's kind of hard to explain, but... Um, uh, like, I mean, they, their movies feel on the ground in Paris. Oh, yeah. You, know? you, you feel uh, like you're in Paris. Yes, yeah. yeah. And I guess, like, we'll talk about masculine and feminine especially later, but... Yeah. A lot of their movies on purpose. They're trying to get you. What does it feel like to be in Paris? Or, oh yeah. Um, 
It's what the guerrilla filmmaking aspect. Yeah, yes, that yeah, even they don't yeah. they don't really like yeah. using that term guerrilla film. Not not everyone likes using that term guerrilla filmmaking, but and um, I feel like I feel like um, it's honestly rare to see that a lot in movies because um, I'm sure you can bring up like a few examples, but for the most part, um, I never feel like I'm in a lot of cities where I'm when I'm watching a movie. Uh, except for French New Wave. I mean, you guys maybe can bring up a few examples. I, I think know. there are some that for sure you can, but I mean, like, they are... I mean, I know that we, like, watch Bicycle Thieves, and that's probably... Like, Italian neo- neo-realism okay, is yeah, definitely, like, true. a start for that, and I feel like some German movies definitely did that, early German movies. Even though they still... They, they don't they don't exactly do it just as good as the French No, New they don't capture like they it do as it well, as. because what the French New Wave does, and what that documentary with Truffaut talked about, I think it was the one with Truffaut talked about, but they did it to the point where, like, they... They the reason they were able to film on the streets is because they did the voiceover after. Yeah. Like you were like directors just didn't do that before. Like they couldn't yeah. film in the streets because there was just too much background noise, especially in a city like Paris where everything's just so loud all the mm-hmm. time. Yeah. And so like that's a huge thing that they just basically invented of was like was was voiceover post post uh like in, in post. Well, basically. I mean there was so, definitely voiceover in other movies, but there was uh, yeah, but not like the whole movie basically. No, like. Yeah. Like, a lot of, like, I feel like, even in masculine films... They weren't scared to do it, voices, to, yeah. as a strength. A lot of times, people saw it as a weakness, you know? Like, yeah. like a movie has to use dubbing post, because you couldn't get the sound on set, so... Yeah. And, I mean, like, it's just... Like, for someone that came up in the studio system at the time, they would have seen that as sloppy, you know? Like, uh, that's why a lot of directors would look at Godard as kind of sloppy filmmaking on the surface, right? Because yeah. he's making technical mistakes that, you know, a good director that, you know, knows how to direct a three-act structure knows, uh, does well, right? Yeah. You would be like, oh, I would never do that with the editing there. Like, it's not smooth or something, you know. Um, but that's kind of what I like about it, though, right? It's, uh, you kind of have to, and I guess this is uh, to different degrees with all the directors, is they have a set of rules that they follow, like, according to their own personalities almost, but then they're willing to break even their own rules at certain moments, and you yeah. can really see that. And that's what I really love. But like, because they're not just crazy out of the, you know, like a bad movie would be to where they're just throwing ideas at the wall. No, it doesn't yeah, no. seem like coherent at all. You yeah. know, I'm not. That's not what I'm trying to say. It's like the closest uh, I came to thinking that was maybe Band of Outsiders, but okay, yeah, people I love mean, that movie. So, uh, but yeah, Godard. That's what I'm saying. You could say a lot of things about yeah. all the different yeah. all the times of his movies, but in general, um. There's still really good film, filmmakers that have already obviously thought about how the movie's going to feel as a whole, you know, as a whole movie. But they're willing to experiment, especially at certain moments, to where they really break the rules and, like, yeah. really go crazy, at least. And to me, it feels earned. And even breaking the rules in their own movies, like we'll probably talk about with at least yes, Masculine Feminine, yeah, yeah. so, but... Okay, yeah. True. Um, should we move to the... Yeah, um... Because... Yes. Yeah. yeah, we also wanted uh, uh, each of us to basically name a director that we... Think with what's our favorite director from uh, from our studying basically? Um, so what was our favorite director over these five weeks? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, that's good. Um, so, I mean, do you start with me? I guess. Yeah, uh, um, well, definitely. Um, it was definitely it's definitely hard because I definitely do like a lot of directors here. Um, before this, it actually was Jacques to me, but uh, I did watch a lot more Agnes Varda movies, and it's got to be her. I mean. Nice. Um, I love Varda because she uh, she's basically when I think of Varda mainly I love how versatile she is she like she can make like a movie like a, na- a straight narrative movie um, I wouldn't even I think it's kind of an insult to call it narrative because it's like it's better than that but um, like Cleo 5-7 you know uh, live on her but she also makes documentaries she makes short films she uh, she, she can just do it all honestly and that's kind of what I like about her and 
throughout all of them, no matter what, you can always see her personality through it. And uh, she always films interesting people. She uh, she has a passion between, uh, behind every everything she's doing, and uh, that's really why I just love her so much. Um, I'm sure I know I, you guys love her too. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I think all three directors we're probably gonna mention. I think we all like. So, yeah. um, I guess I'll go to mine then, because uh, I guess Varda. Thinking about it, I think Varda and uh, Marker were the ones I'd watched the most before this. And they're not even, you know, the Kahiri Cinema group, so... Yeah. Um, I want to pick one that I kind of got to know the most, basically, and really like uh, during the course of this, and it was definitely Truffaut for me. Oh, yeah. And sure. it's kind of obvious, just like, I, like in hindsight, uh, knowing my taste and even starting to learn the differences between all these directors, it's uh, just knowing uh, the directors that I have, I do like. Truffaut's kind of the most similar to at least some of them. Like, um, And I guess I'll give the example of learning about Truffaut, especially for this episode, the last few episodes we've done, um, how he was connected to Renoir. Like, he's probably the most Renoir director of all the French New Wave. Oh, yeah. Um, and also, uh, the coolest part to me about Truffaut, or one of the coolest parts, is that um, he was basically raised by Andre Bazin. The, I think I've mentioned him a couple times on this podcast, but the French film critic that was uh, basically started Cahu de Cinema. And... Uh, you know, was influential on a lot of Huge, the writers there. Hugely yes, influential yes. on, like, the um, cinema in general. Yes, yes, so. like, um, if you don't, yeah, you have to, because he also wrote a book on Jean Renoir, and uh, in that book, Renoir, like, basically calls Bazin, like, the most, he'll say, he says, like, something like, um, even when a lot of people don't remember the filmmakers, they'll remember Bazin for writing about films, you know, yeah. like, that level of critic, but uh, the fact that he just, like, raised Truffaut and the fact that you can, at least in a lot of Truffaut's movies, you can see that element of Bazin in him. And the reason I bring up Bazin, I guess, is because he was one of the first film books I read, too. Like, he has a classic book called What is Cinema, which is, like, a, just a few of his essays. But if you look up, like, film I books... Have, I have his books, volume one and two coming in this yeah. week, actually. Oh, okay, so. okay. Um, yeah, because if you look up, like, film books to read, that'll be one of the first ones that pops yeah. up, so... Yeah. Um, well, what specifically and, do you like about Truffaut, um, I guess we'll talk about it more with Jules and Jim okay, for sure yeah. but I guess in one way I guess the fact that you asked that question if I had to put it in one word is I lean towards directors that I would call poetic right okay, yeah. and because um, to me film is like a version of poetry but to me of all the directors Truffaut and you know kind of Arda and Marker too which is kind of yeah, why I was drawn that's to what in the first I was place. Say but uh, it's definitely Marker and it was between Marker and Truffaut for me but just talking about who I've learned the most over the course of this weeks is definitely Truffaut. And um, I know Blake watched that Renoir interview uh, yeah. where he says the same thing. Yeah, right? no, he it says, is. Uh, Truffaut is, <laughs> yeah. he's one of the few poets we have still, you yeah. know. That's the so, reason he loves him. Yep. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, love Truffaut, too. Obviously. And yeah. another thing, he wrote a lot, a lot about movies, and I haven't read that much about oh, yeah. yet. He, like, he wrote the Hitchcock book, didn't he? He wrote yeah, the Hitchcock dude. book. That's he something wrote, I'd uh, have to read now, because I didn't realize he just spent 50 hours with Hitchcock discussing all of his movies. Hours, like, all yeah. 50 of his movies yeah. he'd released at that point. That's honestly crazy. Yeah, he said, like, a week. Just yeah, he, 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 he said in that interview, like, uh, like he didn't think Hitchcock would accept because he was, like, a big movie guy. Like, he was a big director that had things to do. <laughs> so, he, like, he, there was no way he was going to accept, like, an invitation to just sit down for a week. And he did. No, I like, mean, that's should, crazy. Okay, that I just want to mention that. also how he said, like, I love how we talked about a... Because on the surface, he was like, Hitchcock likes to act like he's not serious. You yeah. know, he's kind of a joking guy. But then when you start talking about the movies, he gets, like, really serious. Yeah. <laughs> I love he was, like, he's the harshest yeah. critic on his yeah, own yeah, movies, yeah. Which, is how, which is how a lot of the best directors are, oh, for sure. Yeah, especially someone detail-oriented like, uh, yeah, like Hitchcock. Hitchcock but. Yeah, so Truffaut. And honestly, 
And I love, uh, one of my favorite things about film in general is just finding the connections between, like, various countries and directors and, you know, just seeing the way film is connected over time. And Truffaut, to me, is, he's part of that connection of filmmakers I love, Elise. So, what about you, Blake? Mine's definitely Chris Marker, so. Uh So, um... I feel like I've been trying to get you to watch Marker. You have for literally so. for, for years. <laughs> have you've been you watched trying it before? to get. I had never watched Not it before La, we started. La Not even La Chate. Not even La Damn. I, this is this is the first time I've, I think I've watched like Ava's movies now. So <laughs> no, but oh shit, it's definitely one of the reasons why I think he's my favorite is because of what you said. Also, he is one of the poets of cinema, like yes, of cinema, yes. like he's one of the best, just poet of, of like just putting his images in the world. I don't know, like like his images are not even like made with one specific thing in mind. It's just like him putting them out into the world to let you figure out what these images are mean yes, to you yes, basically. Yes, yes. And that's kind of what I love about him. Like he does make a coherent, like poetic kind of all through line story through all of his movies, but the images are up to you to decipher and that's what mm-hmm. I like the most about him. Mm-hmm. Okay, yes, yeah, so yeah. I, I definitely Yes, his. It, I feel like his images are probably the m- most open of all the directors yeah. we've watched. Yeah. Um, at least that we've talked about. I um, mean, th- there's not a lot of movies where you can just sit down and watch a 50 minute slideshow of just still images, you know, like like <laughs> like a uh, four dramedaries, but which is great. I did watch yes. that this week. Oh, so. Okay, okay. It's fantastic. Um, yeah, we'll have to talk about that. Yeah, we will talk about that one. Yeah, we'll yeah. But I I I do love Varda. I couldn't put her on here because I haven't seen enough of her. But, I mean, Romer, if I had to choose a Coyote Cinema one, it would definitely be Romer for sure. Yeah, if I had to choose Coyote Cinema, I'd probably pick Truffaut, honestly. Nice. Too, so. nice. Okay. Uh, uh, and I, but I will say, uh, this time, going through the directors, um, and especially learning about more about Coyote Cinema, um, like, there wasn't a director where I lost respect for. I was like, oh, I don't no. like him now, you know? Yeah, Even Godard, right. like, yeah. uh, seeing, like... Uh, I don't want to throw Blake under the bus here, but seeing Blake's like half star review of Alphaville I and being like, Alphaville. "Oh man, yeah, it doesn't look good," like a good art sci-fi movie, but then actually watching it and be like, "Oh my gosh, I love this!" <laughs> uh, just making a sci-fi movie, just straight, just shooting Paris like in uh, weird angles and weird times and everything, yeah. and finding weird places. It's just like uh, I respect all of them for different reasons, you know. When I start to learn more about them, and I oh, guess yeah. that's uh, the best part of learning about films too. There was no, no, there's no director I hate while watching these. No, definitely no, not. So. No. Godard's definitely the one that comes closest, just with his antics. It seems like sometimes. But <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Okay. I think that's I think that's the, probably the best way to put it. It's his antics, but. <laughs> and you have to remember though, like especially for, um, someone who made his films as long as Godard. Like we're honest, a lot of the movies we watch are like young Godard. Yes. You know yeah, the fact okay. that he's still alive and he made a movie like a couple yeah, years ago and everything. It sounds like Christine, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, last of them all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> don't want to put it like that but, I mean, <laughs> all right but uh kind of like, did though really like is he the last alive of all of them like was Varda still alive no Varda died in 2019 ago. yeah but no i don't want to end on depressing no, no. yeah I, uh, and it's like okay we'll you, chose, so, you chose the topic and it closes so, off so um yeah um so after the break uh we'll be uh three movies we'll be discussing our um what was the first movie? I honestly forgot the first Jules movie. Jules and Jim. Jules and Jim. All right. Jules and Jim, directed by Francois Truffaut. <laughs> Love that movie. Love Just that could, movie. Couldn't remember it for some reason. And then uh, uh, next one we'll be discussing is uh, Masculine Feminine, uh, directed by Jean-Luc Godard, and then Saint-Soleil, directed by Chris Marker. So, yeah, see you after the break. Thank you. 
back. Uh, to start off, uh, we'll have um, Danny introduce his pick and basically explain why he chose it. Um, so, Danny, you picked Jules and Jim, so uh, I guess you can... Um, I guess really for the, the basic reason is I probably would have picked... Uh, honestly, okay, I guess I'll answer the question directly. The, re- the reason I picked this was this was the first movie that I like immediately gave a five stars that I watched uh, during the French New Wave, all of this. I'm basically the only one, probably. Like, even as I was watching it, especially after watching the ending, like, there are certain movies that, um, I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you can, everyone's had this experience, but certain movies where, like, you watch them right away, and you're like, I just need to learn more about this, or I need to watch this again, you know, just yeah. anything, you know, like, damn, why did I have this kind of reaction to this, you know? Yeah. And... Especially not expecting that from Jules and Jim. Like, the po- like the cover's kind of weird. Like, I didn't know much about it. Yeah. Um, just reading the story, I'm like, oh, I might not like this as much yeah. as 400 Blows. First, first time I watched it, I thought, so. I thought Jules was a girl. It was going to be, like, a girl and a guy. And then okay, yeah. yeah. No, so I can yeah. see that. I can that. see that, I can too. See that <laughs> honestly, yeah. Um, but then actually watching it, just, like, uh, watching how it uses um, all types of forms um, or style and just, like... The way it tells the character, the story of the characters, without any ever judging any of them, you know, um, there's a certain lightness to the movie. It, it kind of just flows, you know. Like when I was talking about Truffaut earlier, that how uh, Renoir said he was like uh, the poet, one of the few poets that we had left, and that was like a, that interview was in the late '60s. So, um, yeah. like I was saying earlier, how I'm drawn to movies that are, you know, kind of more like poetry, you know, yeah. at least. Yeah. And this is definitely. At least it's like a narrative poetry almost in a way, so that's what I really like about it. But I kind of know what you guys' thoughts are. What, what do you guys? What do you like? Yeah, no, I I, um, I did really like this one. I think personally, I really loved the first half, but then after they come back from the war, I'm kind of it loses a little bit of steam for me. Maybe if I watch it, if I watch it again, I'll probably like it even more. But I mean, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean not to cut you off or anything, but that is that's kind of the movie though. It's like uh, the first half is the up. Yeah. The, uh, the excitement of going up, and then yeah, the second half is after the war. It kind of is. Um, it's supposed to. It's kind of supposed to re- represent through the characters that post-war yeah. uh, feeling. You know, yeah, you can't yeah. go back to how it was like pre the pre- before the war. Yeah. You know? And um, I do that but definitely. I can see what you're yeah, you can. And you can feel that. I I just do think it does lose. At least for me, it lost a little bit of steam yeah. in the second half. Just kind of living that life where where it was just kind of like just uh, them two married like a. Jim is the, the German, right? Yes. Okay, no, so Jim... No, no, Jim Jules, is the tall Jules, one. The okay, okay, so Jules, is the, so Jules and her are living together, being yes, married, yes. and then he comes and visits and stuff like that. It's yes. just... I don't know, I think I think it just loses a little bit of steam. It gets a little... It gets a little weirder than... I don't know, it's yeah. just like more... Well, did you know it's based on a true... St- I mean, kind of... I did not know it's based uh, on well, a true it's story. Well, based yeah. on a book. So I should have mentioned that. Um, Jules and Jim is actually a book written by a French writer that um, Truffaut really loved. And what makes the book uh, crazy, and Truffaut talked about this um, while he was making the movie, is it's one of the coolest parts about learning about the movie is the book was written by the author when he was in his late 70s, early 80s, reflecting on his experiences that he had, oh, um, literally like with a similar uh, situation about a German writer that he knew and, a, and the German writer's wife, wife you know. Did, did, and did, did, did she actually drive the car off the... No, no, that's the thing. I, uh, we should talk about that when we talk about the ending, yeah. but I guess I'll mention that now is... Um, Apparently, uh, that was added later by Truffaut oh, okay. and the writer of Gruwald. Gotcha. Um, but it's uh, crazy how 
Uh, damn, what was I saying? What was I just saying? I mean, we we were talking about the car driving off, but yeah. you were talking about before that. Oh, the mayor. Okay, yes. Uh, how he was seventy plus seventy years old. Yeah, yeah. Um, when he wrote it, right, writing yeah. about his experiences, you know, that he had thirty or forty years before, and the opposite person made the movie. You know, uh, Truffaut was when the movie came out, he was thirty. So I guess when he was filming it, you know, he would have yeah. been less than thirty, and this yeah. was already his third movie. You know, um, after Foreigner Blows and Shoot the Piano Player, and he kind of liked that aspect of it of. Uh, I was listening to this interview that they have on Criterion with him, and he mentions uh, how, or <clears throat> I think it was actually the critic that he's on interviewing with, and um, he mentioned this in Truffaut Greed was how uh, the writer was reflecting on memories that he couldn't go back to, and Truffaut was almost uh, filming a kind of desire he had for that kind of life. You know, it's like it's almost yeah. two opposite ends of the spectrum, kind of meeting in the middle with this movie. Okay. And. Um, you, can, you can definitely see that for yes because sure. it's like this is no way like if a 30 a 29 year old is writing about his experiences if he you could see how a 29 year old might be in those experiences but the way yeah. they, uh, yeah. it's reflected on you'd have to be older you yes. know but yeah. it also has that kind of energy oh, of yeah, a 29 sure. year old making that movie you know it's kind of it has both sides yeah, it to does. it for sure it's um, interesting and once again like going back to learn about mo- going back into a movie after you watch it and learning more about it and re-watching it and getting all the benefits, uh, just kind of how it changes your perspective and all that stuff. Yeah. It's one of my favorite parts about movies, and this one had a really rewarding experience of doing all that. So. Yeah, and I'm glad that you did mention that, that it was based off of, like, real experience, because it does feel like it, it does feel like something yeah. that actually happened. Like, it really does feel like, um, like these people went off to war, had great relationships, and then came back, and, like, yes. it was all just, like, what, yes. like, it's just, like, like you said, something that you just can't go back to yes, that, uh, after that, especially on opposite sides of the war, where you're, where they're literally talking, like, my biggest fear is shooting my friend on the other yes, side, yes, which is, like, probably how a lot of people felt in that war, honestly, or, um, but. Um, this is kind of, uh, kind of related to what you were saying, but, um, it made me think of last week when we talked about, uh, the Algerian war, and how that's felt in, uh, yeah, in Demi's, uh, yeah, Umbrella's Cherbourg. Umbrella's Cherbourg. Uh, this one has the war. You can definitely feel its effects. Yeah. You know, post, they don't really talk about it that much. Remember, like, there's even one scene where like he starts mentioning things that happened to him, and she like just starts closing her ears yeah. and runs off. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of that feeling of, especially at the time, you know, uh, the war did change everything. That the Great War, did, you know, yeah. first the World War One, changed a lot of things for a lot of people. Um, and I guess I'll, I guess we're talking about the movie, so I'll talk about it now. And one of the ways I like how that represents the most um, is. You kind of get this theme throughout the movie, and it's shown through the characters, um, especially in uh, their relationships, of how the modern world was affecting uh, old traditions or old values, right? Yeah. Like, she's, I mean, she, was a, she would be a modern woman today, you she know, but be, she's yeah. A, yeah. a character in the 1910s and 1920s, you know? Yeah. Um, so you can see how that kind of, you can see that clash in the movie, right, in terms of she's trying to live basically her own life, you know, like... She's yeah, not, uh, she's, she really yeah. does not care about if anyone, any of the guys in the, that movie want to possess her or keep her for herself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She does not care, right? Like, she'll yeah. lie about it one moment, just, or not lie. She doesn't like lying. No, she doesn't lie at she's all. She's truthful about it. Yeah. She's very honest about it. And they still all like her, right? Um, we can talk about that if you want later. But, That's ultimately their downfall, really. Yeah. Um, but it's not only through the characters, it's also through the movie. It's like the story itself, right? Like, um, the fact that World War One changed a lot of for a lot of people's lives right in terms of introducing modernization introducing yeah. uh machines cars right and the ending is a classic example of that of uh the car literally killing them right yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and 
I guess another, because uh, it just popped up to me when I talked about the car, is uh, a great example of that in the movie is, I don't know if you guys like the, the scenes, but the scenes of where they ride the bikes uh, at the beginning, you know, they ride it's them a, a few scene. times, yeah. Oh, um, yeah. but like the way he films it, and then at the end, they uh, she takes them on a car ride, and it's filmed very similarly in like these wide wide shots with the, the winding roads. But at the beginning, it's bikes, and at the end, it's a car, right? That's actually crazy. I didn't even I didn't think, realize I didn't think about yes. that. <laughs> so there's a lot of examples of that, right? Especially when Blake was saying... Yeah. The, that's why I kind of disagreed when he said uh, the second half loses steam. But it kind of does, but it's losing steam for a reason, right? It's like yeah. um, told both through modernization, but also the character's trying to go back yeah. to that nostalgia feeling, you know, going back to something that they'll, yeah. they'll never get again. Yeah, I, I, just, I, just, I love how... Um, how beautiful the writing is like yes. it, it kind of goes at a, such a fast pace especially at the beginning that you can't it's hard to like stop and focus on it but like honestly it's it's amazing right amazing writing in that movie um, and i have to mention this because uh listening to that same interview i mentioned on criterion um Truffaut apparently when the movie first came out when it was coming out in america he didn't want it to be subtitled because he thought it was so fast like people wouldn't be able to catch up with subtitles oh, so it made no point yeah it actually makes sense yeah uh but then he re- he said that um, when uh, he started, because the interview on Criterion is like 20 years later, and he said he hadn't even watched it that much, like he doesn't want to watch it again and everything, yeah. which is also funny, but uh, <laughs> he mentions how a lot of the reactions, uh, the countries that had subs, they liked the movie a lot more than the people that had the dubbed versions. Really? Well, and so, sure, I mean, dubs suck. So. That's what I'm saying, yeah, but, he, but the fact yeah. that he thought that, like, I don't want subtitles because it might be too fast, you know, and it is a fast-paced movie yes. with a lot of dialogue, that's it why is. I was worried about yeah. it, but... Um, even then, the dialogue is—it's also really good, but it's to me the uh, the movie's strength is in kind of what's not said, you know. Yeah. Uh, the way that characters act in the movie and how it's shown, like with the camera and the yeah. helicopter shots and the wide shots and everything. But yeah, that's one of my favorite things too. Is is honestly just how I I really do like Jules a lot because he's not the typical 1910-1920 man of like possessing your wife, you know. Yes, like exactly. he understands why she's doing everything she's doing. And he doesn't judge her or blame her for any of it. He says it's yeah. her life to live, and he's fine. He's with accepted it. that. Right? He's accepted it. Jim yeah. uh, couldn't. Yeah, really. He just wants to chill and chill with his kid, you know. Yeah, I mean, like <laughs> he's happy if she's happy, basically. Um, that, or kind of like that's kind yeah. of how it feels. Like he might not be entirely happy, obviously, but he's not judging he's ex- her or feeling yes. or like blaming or her he's for anything. At least. Yeah, he's accepted um, at least. And uh, Jules is a great example of that and there's a few moments in the movie that really recall that um, one of them it's one of my my favorite parts is when Jules and Jim are just uh, standing outside the window like uh, Jules is kind of uh, leaning down and thinking that Jim is like you know standing right above him and it's shot from outside the window um, where Jim basically says the reason she likes you is because you have this like Buddhist nature about you right yeah like, <laughs> I remember that she knows you're, not, you, you're gonna be steady you know no matter what she does right? yeah um, you're like a, you're like someone that she can come back to basically yes, if, yes, she needs, exactly, if she yes. needs you yes um, and then the other part is kind of just the ending right yeah. he's the yeah. one that no, those I really are love the, the ending, two extremes yeah. of him right like yeah. those are because um, one of the most beautiful or just amazing parts about the movie is it's a love triangle but it's not like a normal love triangle movie. Each side of the triangle has at least understanding, you know, love towards yes. the characters. They, right? lo- they, um, they never lose their love yes. for each other either. And that's, so. a, that's a huge Renoir thing. Like, Renoir totally believed in yeah. that. Like, even from the rules of the game and all of his movies he made, it's like, uh, every char- I think there's a quote in the rules of the game that I was reading earlier. It's like, every character has its reason. Or every, uh, every, person, every man has its reason. Has okay, its yeah, reasons, yeah. Right? Yeah. And that, this is a classic movie, example of that. Like, 
even if you don't agree with any of the decisions, like, you can tell the director is not hating them for the, or is like, in most Love Triangle movies where there, you have to be cheering for two of them. Yeah. You know, yeah. one of them has to be the evil person that's <laughs> yeah. getting the way that kind Basically. of thing. Basically. Right? It's really not like that in this one. No. You might have a favorite. Like, you might have your own. Like, for me, um, my favorite is more, at least Catherine, you know. Yeah, Jean she's, Moreau, yeah. Because. I, um, I mean, she's everyone's favorite. I feel like she's she's, she's yes. it, it's her movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what yeah. makes the title kind of misleading too. It is, yeah. Um, yeah. But that's why but, it's a great but, poster yes, also, uh, or like a great a great like uh, just like it's just Jules and Jim and yes. her face. Uh, right and remember under when it, he draws so. the picture of her before even they meet, yeah. right? Um, yeah. And I guess that's part of the more poetic aspects of the movies I like. Uh, the movie I like is even before uh, she's introduced, we get that drawing, right? That's obviously gonna remind us of her like after she comes. But then also um, the um, the statue where they're looking at the statue. Yeah, Al- yeah, yeah, Albert's, yeah. I remember yeah. Albert's the one that shows him the statue. Yeah. So obviously he was there too. Basically all three of them after they saw that. Well, statue. did you say Al? You think Albert's uh, Truffaut basically? I could, I could see that. Like at least a certain okay. version, like uh, Truffaut or the audience. You know, he's like yeah. the third guy. You know, like because I was telling Luke yesterday or a couple days when we were talking about it, how I see the way it's filmed. We're supposed to fall in love with Catherine too. You know. Yeah. Even with our faults, it falls the same way uh, they do. Yeah. But um, what was I just saying before that about about the statue? <laughs> oh yes, the statue. Yes. Uh, just that poetic aspect of, in a way, they are they do kind of uh, idolize her like a statue almost. You know, like uh, really? they they put her up on a they pedestal, do. right? And uh, and that's and that's a problem in relationships yes, it for is. sure. And uh, she realizes that. That's yes. kind of why she like yeah. she doesn't want to be put in a, a box or you know. Yeah. However you want to put it as a statue, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What do you guys? Honestly, uh, hearing all you talk about that made me love the movie more, and I already love the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I was no. like, damn, I didn't even think about all that. <laughs> but no, yeah, my problem is not as much a problem as much as just like I, if I watch it again, I'll, I won't yeah. notice it as much, obviously. But yeah, honestly, I thought pretty much the same thing as you did the first time I watched it, and I rewatched it, and I loved it a lot more. And um, honestly, my one complaint is honestly kind of it might not even really you probably have a uh it's probably on purpose but i feel like you know the ending scenes before the car mm-hmm. thing it just it gets a bit too repetitive for my I taste it. yeah because yeah. there's another scene before that it's kind of like a fake out where she pulls yeah. a gun on him and everything yeah and then it's like he, jim jim like it it, it, it kind of gets exhausting at that point i'm like all right let's let's get to it let's get to the end you know it's um but it's still a great movie and i don't know maybe if i we watch it again. I might. I might. Uh, it's kind. Of, it's kind of the one thing that's keeping this movie from being like all time. For okay. Me. Okay. I, I mean, yeah. Not that. every movie can be all time, obviously. Oh like, yeah. And I think it's fair. Um, I kind of. I, I just remembered something I wanted to mention earlier, so I kind of. I don't want to go off topic. What we were just talking about, but when uh, Blake was talking about uh, Jules's character, like how he relates to her, kind of like accepting who she is. Um, the narrator mentions this once, but also the fact that he's. Uh, I don't know what you call someone that's telling you insects, but that's his job, you know? How, oh, uh, what is that? I don't know what it's called, but anyway, he's an insectologist or something. Entomologist? Okay, okay. That sounds right. That doesn't sound right. That sounds like a real word. <laughs> no, but uh, then the narrator once uh, compares her to a queen bee. I was right. Let's Ento- oh. Entomologist? <laughs> yeah, it is. I was making fun of you Yeah, I think, <laughs> yeah, he, I think they, that's in the movie as a subtitle. Anyway. Yeah, I think it was, okay. yeah. That's probably where um, I remember it from. Um... But yeah, the narrator also mentions that she's uh, the queen bee. Uh, they call her the queen bee. Yeah, yeah. And I was thinking about it this time, like, 
if you think about her relationship to the the guys in the movie, it is like a queen bee relationship, right? Oh yeah. And just thinking about how if he's the entomologist, he understands those type of relationships yeah. better than you know a human might. Right? Yeah. He he kind of accepts that kind of thing that it happens in nature, you know. It does. Um, even if it doesn't happen with humans as yeah. much, but. And I think that actually makes even the ending more powerful. Like I remember whenever I was watching the ending, oh, I texted okay. you. I texted you and said it's so weird how the music at the end is so yeah. happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like you just watched yeah. the two most important people in his life die. Shades of uh, Liban. Yeah, obviously. and then no, he just and, the and then it's just says, so happy. Because uh, I wrote this down, the narrator says a sense of relief flooded over. Yeah. Right. And you yeah, can feel and that. he's just he's just glad that he doesn't have to deal with it anymore. Like he loved them, but he's just glad that he doesn't have to deal with it anymore. Yes. Yeah. And it it. And um, Truffaut talked about, and I keep mentioning this interview, I'll link it in our description, but uh, Truffaut talked about that. Um, he mentions how the reason why, one of the reasons he thinks that this movie got loved over time was even though it kind of, like, if you describe the ending, it sounds sad, it is an uplifting ending. It is. Yeah. Right? And it's kind of an ambiguous uplifting ending. Like, you know, he just lost the two people he loved the most, but it's a love that was chaotic and was yes. kind of bound to end destruction, right? Yeah. In some ways. So that sense of relief, you know, the happiness, the music that plays at the end is Albert's music, uh, or Albert's theme, the song, like, yeah. the song she sings with um, Albert in that great yeah. scene, um, that's the theme music that plays at the end, not theirs, you know? Yeah. Um, it's really interesting, honestly. It is. It's, a, it's, just a, it's just a very deep, it's like a, it's a very light movie, like, it, it flows very uh, light, right? Like, almost like a, I don't want to say Romare, but, like, just that kind of feeling of, yeah. It's kind of just flowing along. You're entertained, you know. It doesn't feel too serious. But then when you go back and think about it, you're like, oh man, like it does feel it like has that double meaning. Like a poet, like a poet, like a poem can, like a good poem yeah. can, right? Yeah. It can be simple, but it can also be really deep if you think about it a lot. Yes. But so that's why I picked it. I don't want to go too yeah. long. I feel like I talk a lot. I'll, I'll let no, you talk. Cool. Cool. I, I, yeah, I was, I was letting you do your thing. I mean, but uh, I guess time for a masculine feminine. This is the movie it's I true. chose. Um, Directed by Godard, 1966. Um, if you don't, if you're not familiar with it, uh, basically it's about a guy named Paul, and uh, pretty much he's kind of the you know the classic French political teen, like young, young adult actually, um, who basically uh, has a relationship with this uh, pop singer. Like uh, basically she's like then like a rising star pretty much, and uh, basically it's kind it's. It's kind of hard to explain the plot because it kind of doesn't really have a plot, but uh, that's kind of basic for the characters. But essentially, why I love this movie so much is um, really like before I watched this, like none of the guitars really I ever loved. But then I watched this, and for some reason, like the first time I watched it, I I was invested the whole time. I like loved everything, and I couldn't tell you why I loved it so much. That's it was so weird. And then I rewatched it again. I'm like, okay, I think I got it now. Really. Um, to be to be honest, I think I love this so much because it just feels like a perfect snapshot of basically what French youth was all about this time. You know, communism, girls. Uh, honestly, yeah, those two, but yeah, pretty, pretty much. I mean, but or uh, but even then, uh, okay, I wouldn't and, say just girls. I would say the relationship between uh, yes, yeah, true, yeah, girls and guys at the time, pretty much, right. It's kind of why the movie's called Masculine Feminine, because, yes, yes. you know, in the movie, the boys are all politics and uprising, and the girls are, like, girls, I feel like. It's, it's basically like what... It's a classic what, stereotype of a girl. It's honestly all put uh, together in uh, one of the quotes from the movie. Uh, this is this, uh, this film could be called The Children of Marx and Coca-Cola. Like, it's perfect for this movie, because... Um, 
it, it's it's really just uh, it felt like Gadar basically just growing into his political phase because um, it's like right before he all he got all political and uh, it, it it feels like a perfect like vantage point because it kind it kind of combined both sides of Gadar I feel like um, really well and I mean honestly though this movie I think wouldn't be the same if it wasn't for Jean Pierre Bon as well like honestly amazing he's become one of my favorite actors throughout the French New Wave he's a great and, actor. Um, uh, there was a quote from Truffaut basically talking about how different he is uh, from his movies to Godard's movies. Um, let me. F- oh yes. Because uh, you know in Godard's movies he, you know he's more of the you know charming little troublemaker pretty much throughout mm-hmm. the Antoine Dunel series. Well, let me try and find this. <laughs> um, here we go. I found it. Okay. So basically Truffaut in 1973. Uh, uh, it's it said this is in the Criterion booklet by the way in the Criterion Blu-ray. Uh, he says, Truffaut was in fact disturbed by Godard's handling of Le- uh, Lodes, uh, recalling in a brutal 1973 letter to Godard. And the quote is, It was in Masculine Feminine that I noticed for the first time how he could be filled with anxiety rather than pleasure at the notion of finding himself in front of a camera. The first scene in the cafe was a painful experience for anyone looking at him with, at him with affection and not with an entomologist's eye. Hmm. Like, it, it's he, he really... He does such... I mean, he kind of puts it in perfectly. He plays, like... Uh, his character is basically an awkward, you know... He... he his, his He's very arrogant, basically, his character in this movie. Mm-hmm. And it kind of... He kind of uh, perfectly... Uh, he perfectly plays someone who's so into, like, politics and, you know... It's just so focused on, like... Uh, basically, social issues at the time, but also, you know... He's chasing girls, you know. Yeah. The, yeah. Counter, the counter, the counterbalance between like the socialism aspects compared to like the the American like consumerism. No, that's what yeah. I want to mention. Yeah, yeah. Like that is like the the dualism in this movie yeah. Is, yeah. is between the left and the right, basically. Yes. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, yeah, but not yeah, not even yeah, left and right. Yeah, I guess that's the way to put it. But I like, left honestly, in left I in like socialism, the, rise yeah. in like just American yeah. consumerism in general. So, because um, yeah. You mentioned the quote, uh, the children of Marx and Coca-Cola. Yeah. Um, and I think it kind of is the dualism, but to me, the movie more is showing, like, okay, these young, you know, young 20s or uh, late teens, right? The way they're grappling with both of these ideas, yeah. those ideas at the time, kind of like they're the same thing, right? And I, like, and the way, the reason why uh, I say that is because you see this a lot today, even, like, obviously, because same politics right like or uh not the same politics but a lot of the same ideas even today where people talk about politics like their choice of oh i'm a communist or i'm a capitalist the same way they would talk about uh um what's your favorite drink coke or pepsi right remember she says like i love pepsi like uh, yeah i like pepsi more than coke yeah yeah, right right like the way she talks about it a lot of people talk about uh communism versus capitalism in the same way right it's kind of just like a way to personally express yourself Right to show like you're a good person or um, you know you're doing the right thing that kind of thing, uh, and that's what I like about it because it doesn't necessarily mean the characters know everything they're talking about you know especially how young they are like yeah. um, that's kind of what I like about it really just showing uh, the honest side of those at least in Godard's perspective yeah the honest the honest sides of those characters and, and I know you said you like the interview scenes which I do as well like yes he's I mean he's a pollster I mean he, yes. that's what he does and it also like. Um, he kind of—that's how Godard kind of reveals more about the characters. I feel like, um, especially with Madeline. I mean, 
Uh, it happens a few times. It yeah, happens, with um, when multiple people as well. But yeah. I feel like with Madeline, it was more important for a character development. But it hasn't happened with Catherine as well. I just realized. Yeah. And with the interviews, is actually the one part that I was actually thinking of where Godard did break some of his rules, where he like he, I think he's the one that interviewed the the girls. Yeah. Like they didn't have anyone in there, but then there are certain scenes where where Jean-Pierre Law is interviewing yeah. him instead like he decides to actually put him in there as the pollster and not himself mm, basically yeah. telling them or like speaking to them asking them the questions yeah, it's interesting how he did that and it's really also, it's just I don't know why yeah. he decided to do that for yeah. certain girls and why not for others yeah. but like maybe Man. maybe there's a, maybe there's a certain significance if I yeah. watched it again I'll have yeah. to pay attention to the girls that <laughs> Jean-Pierre Law actually speaks to yeah but um but, uh, I also want to ask you guys what did you guys think about the uh, the slides because every time it comes up, there's like it's like a gunshot, yeah. I know, I and like he says some crazy quote, and I loved it so much. I don't even know why I loved it so much. It just was awesome. Like it just it matches the energy of the movie, and just the energy of Godard. In Plus, general. I I think on purpose it takes you out of the straight narrative of the movie. Yeah, like he's trying to tell you basically with every title card, like this is uh the point of the movie is not just the simple story of these this couple um trying to you know become a couple you know like yeah yeah uh he's trying to tell this almost this um. Uh, the story of the generation, at least, and his perspective, you know, how the generation yeah. was feeling. And he says that. There's a quote like that, right? Like, yeah. I'm trying to tell the story of our generation or something. Uh, yeah. th- uh, philosopher and filmmaker share a way of being an outlook on life, that of a generation. That of a generation. Yeah. Um, he says a lot of cool quotes. I don't even know what all of them mean, but they just sound really cool. Like, uh, I have some written down. Um, Nothing left but a man, a woman, and an ocean of spilled blood. Uh, the mole has no conscience yet. It oh, burrows, one, burrows yeah. in a specific direction. Yes. Like, because uh, uh, that made me think of this kind of, and that made me, uh, yes, that made me think of what I was talking about earlier about this young generation trying to basically find who they are, right, through all yeah. these ideas, both consumerism ideas and yeah. uh, communist and uh, leftist ideas. As right? he perfectly puts, there's a quote in the movie. It was the age of uh, Vietnam and James Bond. Like he says that in the movie too. Yeah, it's John Pierre Lott says it. Oh, like, it's okay, not in the title okay, cards, okay. but still, it's a great quote. It basically perfectly encapsulates what what it was at the time and what this movie is all about and yeah I, I don't know this movie's just so like interesting to think about like it, it's like i don't know it's just it's just a movie that it it's so unique honestly like i don't think i can think of another movie like this like <laughs> that who, who matches this like this duality of you yes. know and uh of of these cho- of what the characters you know are dealing with as well with like the crazy experimentation of Godard, what he's the crazy for. ideas that he's trying to make you think about yeah. society or a generation, right? Um, yeah. And because w- we've been talking a lot about more about the, the ideas or the yeah. the more sociolo- sociological aspect of the movie, but we should because I want to mention one scene specifically, but we should mention some of the also ex- like more of the story, the extremely detailed character um, yeah. moments, right? And like I'll give an example is. The moment in the movie theater where he yeah. uh, and he goes gets mad at the projectionist for uh, yeah, asking no, him I love I love the look at the projectionist's face when he's like when he's like telling him all the stuff and then the projectionist is like oh my god I yeah, hate yeah. my job like but yeah it's such no, a good and, moment and then like right when he walks out after he wins like they and he plays a little patriotic music for like a, a couple seconds it's amazing too yeah like he just did something amazing this movie's just this movie's also just hilarious I mean like it is it has, yeah it's, it's so funny. it goes I mean like. Like a great Godard movie does, or like a bad Godard movie does, it goes all over the place, right? Yeah, it has all yeah. kinds of ideas, and you'll probably like certain moments of it, and you'll probably just be like, oh, why yeah. is that, you know? If you hate this movie, I completely understand. But... Okay, yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I just love it. I mean, it's... And it's... Uh, going off that, because I, I wanted to mention a quote that I think reflects um, kind of... I guess the word I would use is searching. Like, you can tell all these characters are searching for something through these yeah. ideas, right? Um, and all of them as individuals, like... 
I think there's a quote at the beginning of the movie where he says something like, who are the women of Paris or which women, right? Like the women of uh, the factories or the women that okay. have to go to like... He's uh, like, what is a typical Parisian yes, woman? Yes, 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 so. that, right? And it's like, uh, but also not only that, but what are they searching for? What do they want? That kind of thing. Yeah. Right? And there's a quote um, where it has narration over John Pierre Laud watching the, that movie in the theater. Yeah. And it's uh, it says... Uh, he says something like, "We went to the cinema often, but we were really disappointed oh, yeah. most of the time." And it, and then the uh, quote is, "Wash up, Marilyn Monroe." Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. But then uh, it leads to the quote of, "It wasn't the film of our dreams. It wasn't that total film we carry inside yeah. ourselves. That film we would have liked to make, or more secretly, no doubt, the film we wanted to live." Oh, that's right. Yeah. And you can tell, like a lot, like they're trying to live, like the way I would put it is, when you watch a movie that's like almost inspiring, and you're like, "Why don't I live like that?" That kind of thing. <laughs> You know, like a movie that's really good, yeah. um, but then life never can match that, right? It can never match yeah. that kind of a magic, almost like a movie can. Yeah, but you always yeah. try to search for that, try to find that. Yeah, and everyone has their own ways, but it's definitely something Godard. It, it only Godard oh, would yes. put that in a movie, but yes. uh, actually, fun fact. Actually, in, fun fact in that scene. I mean, okay, maybe not just Godard, yes, but okay, it's, yeah. it's such a Godard thing that it I had is, to say that. Is, yes. But fun fact, actually, fun uh, anecdote um, during that scene. They're basically watching like a pseudo like porn movie, art house porn movie. Basically, it's what's implied. It's like a B movie. Yeah, of pretty okay. much. And uh, uh, so when uh, they didn't actually have this the movie playing when they were filming the scene, and so Chantal Goya asked uh, Godard, uh, uh, "What movie are we watching?" And he said, "Gone with the Wind." Wow. <laughs> so she's, you know, she's watching like it's like a romantic movie, basically. It's like really not. So the, when they were acting, they thought they were watching Gone with the Wind. Yeah. But then right. he actually plays like that big movie. Oh, he told Chantal Goy. I don't know about oh, the other oh, people. Yeah, but... yeah. See, and that's that's actually one reason why I don't love that scene as much because he because I feel, I think the uh, guy keeps on asking, "Are you willing to leave? Are you guys ready to leave?" Because he doesn't want to stand and watch this movie. And what you said about them wanting to live out like was in the movie it's like this this movie's like basically about a woman being raped and these women are like oh yeah oh yeah i love this like let's let's sit here and watch this it's like so it's like what i mean Man, i mean that's, that's something weird. i don't really like the wind thing now that's yeah crazy. no that's yeah, that's, that's actually insane. that's actually kind of what brought that up i was like oh that's kind now of i want to watch but... that scene again because they actually were interested in, like they acted like they were interested in the movie and I, was, I don't know it's kind of a weird scene but there are definitely I think there are definitely good Ardian traits in this that are still the, the good the good the good Ardian traits that I don't love like, like well like I don't like how especially in that one scene where she's trying to talk to uh, Jean-Pierre Law's character in the bathroom or something that's when they meet basically yeah whenever they meet and yeah. she's like and he keeps on asking her out and she's she's trying to get like a word in and he's like literally just talking down <laughs> yeah, to her yeah, like about yeah. everything I'm but, just like uh... Honestly, this sounds like very similar to your criticism of Michelle and. Uh, <laughs> um, no, but see, uh, yeah, no, but no. it is because uh, it is. Yeah. It's like it's someone. It's kind of why I like it, right? Because he's trying to show what an honest French guy that looks like Jean Pierre Law yeah. that was twenties, uh, you know, that was a you know yeah. activist that thought he was right about everything, how he might talk to women. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it also is kind of that. It is Godard too, at the same time, a little bit, right? Like, yeah. He knows he's kind of brash, you know, yes. kind of cocky, that kind yeah. of. Like, he's that kind of filmmaker. Yeah, and he trusts yeah. his idea so much. Like, he does not care what anyone else yeah. thinks about what he's yeah. doing, right? Um, and that, like, no, around, I respect that for sure. I do respect it, but it, I see what you're saying, dude. It's like, just there's uh, certain yeah. things that he does that I just don't love. And they, yeah. they're, they're in this movie. Like, mm-hmm. they are. And I do think he does a better job in this one. Like, I do love Jean-Pierre Lott's character more than more than Michelle's in, in, in Breathless. Because <laughs> I think the main reason for that is because he does get turned down basically at every 
basically at every turn until like the very end whenever they whenever they're like in the bed all three of them <laughs> together for some reason yeah, yeah. it's so it's so weird and funny Kadarma yeah. Chase basically is a loser basically in this yeah game, a lot of the time but honestly he's 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 like an asshole but he's so he's still so likable just because I think he is just, so likable just because, because of Jean-Pierre Jean Lott yeah, yeah pretty much man I love Jean-Pierre no and he's got like even in the movie I think the character has some charisma right like he does he, have yeah, a lot he does yes. yeah. you could see why a girl would fall for him as well yeah. um Maybe at first, like I think, cause yeah, uh, at least throughout the movie, like, cause remember, there's one scene where he gets really mad at I think her friend, where her friend tells him, uh, you, like we're not the type of girls for you. Yeah. He just like yeah. starts yelling at her like randomly, <laughs> like really loud. But oh, um, he starts yelling because he knows deep down she's right, right? Yeah. Like, uh, and I like I, I would agree with your criticism more if like if throughout the movie she was kind of just like you know always trying to get with him and like being like why are you such a dick that kind of thing but she kind of just like accepts him too and she but see that's why like, that's why i think it works better in this one than yeah, okay. that oh, 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 it doesn't because that was my main criticism breathless is i was like i don't understand why she loves this guy like yeah, yeah, like yeah. i'm just like this guy's just like the worst and it's interesting but... in this movie because uh it's kind of like a whole train of like interest basically you know uh his friend is interested in uh christine what's what's, what's the madeline's Catherine, maybe? Catherine, that's Catherine. Mm. And then Catherine's interested in Paul. Yeah. And Paul's interested in... Uh, yes, yeah. yes. Because, uh, um, remember, there's a... Mich- this this kind of goes to the point of... It's not really even about the characters, per se. Like, Godard does not care that much about the, yeah. the own it's characters It's more about the feeling the, It's uh, about the feeling of the time. And one example of that is when John Pierre Lott's friend interviews one of the girl's friend or sisters. And that interview scene lasts a while. Like yeah. he's kind of because uh, he's also a pollster yeah and he's like kind of bugging her the same way John yeah. Pierre Lott does a couple times with um, uh, a couple of girls that he interviews yeah. throughout the movie but it's kind of that thing right it's like it's not even necessarily about just John Pierre Lott it's about guys like that in that yeah. generation yeah. right yeah and, uh, yeah, and I do think there, like I think actually in that in the uh, Criterion booklet that they, that they give the interview, like I actually do think that was one of the things that they said in there was this was an extremely like divisive movie between like Parisian youths of the time because they were like some of them were like yes this is exactly how our life is and yeah. others are like no this you isn't know, what life is at all. Actually, but I mean uh, that and that is one of the problems yeah. with showing with trying to capture a movement like a youth yeah, that you're not a part of. But like, I mean it's how he saw the youth. Yes, it's right? how he saw the youth. Like yeah. imagine um. Just going to a political yeah. rally today, and depending on which political party the person is, they might tell the events totally different. Yeah, right? and that's how you know he at least captured yeah. some yes. of it. It's so. on, at least it's honest, right? Yeah. Uh, and it, I don't even think he's trying to be necessarily factual about yeah. it, right? Like, no. Um, and we'll talk about the, we yeah. can even talk about the yeah. ending. Too, it's, it's, oh, it's actually interesting because this movie was initially banned from any anyone under eighteen. Uh, so and, Radar, and, basically. Pretty much, yeah, and then Godard uh, grabbed uh, the exact audience it was meant for. <laughs> oh. So I kind of, yeah. He, he meant for the youth to see this, basically, is what I'm saying. No, I yeah. like that. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, that's a... Because a lot of directors, uh, especially a lot of serious directors or good directors, they wouldn't want to make a movie specifically for just, you know, teenagers or young adults, yeah. you know? Like, that's... Like, young adult books are known as the dumb books. I mean, the dumb books. <laughs> Okay, if you're a young adult... You don't like YA novels? You don't like The Hunger Games? You like Divergent? No comment, no comment, <laughs> no, no comment. But, uh... Um, so that is cool that he, like, yeah. he made a movie like this specifically for that. Because um, to me, it, it, like, I, didn't, I, I wouldn't have guessed that. I kind of just thought he was trying to tell the story of that generation, you know? Yeah, Maybe even for an older audience. Yeah. But, maybe he was 
for the time for the, for them at the time he was making it for them, but he was also making it for people. In the future. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. True, yeah. It, it could be it multiple can be both. different. It things, could be both. Yeah. And that does go to like just the thing, the whole theme we've been talking about, just filming the uh, how they film there, how they oh, film yeah. Paris in general. It sure. captures a moment in time really, really oh, well. Yeah. Like all of them, all of them capture moments in time very well. Uh, we need to talk about the ending. Yeah, though, ending is interesting. Um, honestly, I don't even really think I really have it. I don't really know why he did that. So I'm interested to hear what you guys think. I think I, at least my opinion of why, I don't know if I love it, but my opinion of why, why he just brashly, I mean, not brashly, but kind of just harshly ends it, you know, where the movie seems like it's a story about this John Peter Lott and him, uh, you know, uh, dating this girl. But the end, he kind of just dies without yeah, off dies. camera, and then through an interview, yeah, you know, police interview. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but to me, it's kind of just him being like, okay, this is a kind of a story you might see in a police uh, um, station every day or something, right? Yeah. It's not. It's not about that one guy. It's about guys like him, right? Yeah, that is true, actually. Yeah. And but the kind of harsh ending is almost emphasizing that, right? Instead yeah. of just being making it like a happy ending where you actually care about the characters at the end. Yeah, actually, yeah. I didn't even think about that, but because um, the. But I wanted to, like, because, and I, I don't even know, I, I like the idea of that. I don't know if I like necessarily how it's done. Um, okay. Like, it's not my favorite, but I appreciate what he's trying to do. But I, I really like the scene before, where uh, Jean, John Peter Law is kind of talking a narration about his pulse polling okay, and why yeah. he thinks he's basically lying, yeah. right? And, and this is a probably a belief Godard had, but a lot of filmmakers obviously have this belief, where he mentions how he thought polling was lying because... Um, you're just asking the people you're interviewing for value statements yeah. at the time, right? And he thought the only way to truly get to know someone is through observational behavior, right? Yeah. Uh, what you can see through a camera, right? Or yeah. um, how people act. And I kind of like that. It's almost like the self-reflection uh, of like um, of the pollster in the movie, right? Kind of just like yeah. looking back, like everything I was doing is kind of lying, you know? Like I'm just trying to get people to say answers almost to make them look good or not. maybe how do you know if they actually believe what they're saying? Yeah. based on how they live or anything you know yeah. I don't know why but the, the, for the ending I honestly thought that they killed him <laughs> like like I thought I thought that, they, that maybe funny. like they pushed him out the window or something that's how he died I mean, and then I, I honestly, think that's definitely an interpretation I think that's an interpretation yeah. I don't know why I thought that maybe it's because like in that Marker movie they were, he was talking and like Sans Soleil he's, he was talking about that 13 year old girl that ties their that ties her friend's hands behind her back and throws her out the window because she didn't know any better or something you know you don't remember that part do you remember that part no mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. Maybe that's the reason. Maybe I just had that on my mind. But I don't know. I, th- I do think that is an interpretation because... Let me ask you this then. More than if you think it actually happened or not, because obviously it just told through story, so we can't yeah. confirm anything. Yeah. But do you think those characters, those two girls, were capable of that? Like, do you think they felt about him that way? I think towards the end they do, okay. kind of. Okay. But maybe Because uh, the way she talks about being pregnant, it's kind of just... Whatever. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, whatever. That kind yeah. of thing, right? Yeah. Like... Yeah. We'll We're having a cameo. Nobody see what happens. <laughs> he just died, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But honestly, we never. Do, re- do you think that baby is the children of Marks and Coca Cola? Because it kind, he kind of is. Because hmm. John Pilot, uh Paul is the Marks, you know, part of it, and then honestly, you could say Madeline is the Coca Cola. Okay. Why I see the lot being uh, Marks. Why is she Coca Cola? Honestly, she's a pop star. She's a pop that's star. That's basically yeah, yeah so pretty yeah. much. That's, yeah. what I was thinking, that's the first thing I thought of was the scene. Yeah. And kind of the way her approach, she doesn't care yeah. about that stu
But honestly, she just doesn't care about things. Well, she doesn't want. She doesn't talk about that. I think she actually says this because she doesn't talk about political stuff because she doesn't understand it. She doesn't want like. Yes. Yes. She doesn't want. No, that's. I think that's a different girl. But is it? that's the thing. We can. You can take this movie as. Uh, yeah, they're all one random girl's interview. Yeah, the typical Parisian, as we've been talking right. about. <laughs> yeah. Or typical Parisian, according to Godard. Yeah. yeah. No. Well, I'm I'm just saying what the movie says yes. about how how like what is, what even is the typical yes. Parisian woman like. But no either one way, knows I think really. your point stands. Like she was probably that type. I mean, you. I'm on like, I obviously pay attention to politics somewhat, yeah. but you know, like I'm not like a politics head that's watching CNN every night. You no. know, what's going on that kind of thing, right? Like. Um. But yeah, with her, definitely, I can I can see what you're saying for sure. Yeah. I think um, I saw that. I think actually, I think I was it was something in here that said that actually. But I, I just thought of it. I was like, man, it's a good thought, honestly. So it is. Yeah. Man. Any more? Any more thoughts? Or we can move to. Yeah, great ass movie. Watch it, please. Yes. <laughs> obviously, if you're watching, hopefully you've watched these. If you're listening to this, but, but we should move on to our last one, Blake. Yeah. So the last one, Sans Soleil, Chris Marker, 1983. I'm pretty sure. Maybe a little late for the French New Wave, but whatever. Because we'll <laughs> we'll it is. We'll it, I mean, it, can, it basically has to be kind of the French New yeah. Wave. And you watch this during our French New Wave series, so yes. it counts. So, yeah. That's yeah, more so it counts. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I chose this movie I because I what I was saying before about Marker and how he's just a poet and how he how he lets his images do the talking. And that's what I love about Sans Soleil. And I love specifically about how he talks about or like just how he shows the differences in time and just the differences in death and how, how different cultures view time and death. And because yes. we don't really think like most people I feel like don't think about that, like just about your perspective on death. You know, like we have vastly different different perspectives on death in the West than the people in the East do, and that's just a normal thing. Like to some people over there, especially in '83, like where they were, where China, Japan, Korea, okay. all these places were massively hit with like World War Two. Like they, uh, okay. like they're just kind of used to death. Like I don't want to say used to death, but like at that time they were kind of used to death, and so it was just something that it's just a different perspective that we have on death and time and just how and how those are related to yeah how they're related to each other um anything like well i mean that's that's how i just wanted to start that's why that's why i want that's how i want to start it but yes i mean one of the i mean i also just kind of like how random this movie is yes or it feels random at the time but like one of the perfect moments for that was whenever he's just like talking and he's like by the way do you know there are emus in the in the the ile de france (laughs) and Um, i was like what it's not only that just after he's talking he's talking about literally what you were just talking about um what he mentions uh because I guess I'll just say why one of the reasons I love the movie is all the different writer, all the different writers or people in the movie are all him, yeah. right? He's just writing. And the first people. time, I literally didn't get that. <laughs> yeah, no, I can see why. I mean, yeah. He's not trying. Like he's a. Because he doesn't bring attention to, to it. it. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't want you to know. Um, basically, he wants you to realize that they're all the same people. Just by the basically, you can tell they're all saying the same ideas. Yeah. You know, like yeah. it has to be him at some point. But yeah, um, that gets me to when because um, this one is wrote. From the perspective of someone that's writing about someone else's letters that they yes. wrote to her, right? Sandra Krasna wrote to her, but really yeah. it's all Chris Marker, right? Yes. Editing, writing, yeah. books, roles, everything. <laughs> um, so, I mean, first of all, that makes you think about why. Why would you talk like that? But even more importantly, uh, I just like that. I just like that um, using different people. That as, style. As the same, yeah, that same style. But that, that one, I was going to mention, I got off track, but I was going to mention... Uh, that quote, I'll just quote it exactly, because it relates to how you, what you said about you liking it. 
He used to write me from Africa. He contrasted African time to European time and also to Asian time. He said that in the 19th century, mankind had come to terms with space and that the great question of the 20th was the coexistence of different concepts of time. By the way, did you know that there were part of you? Such a great, such just like... But, um, it seems random. It does they, seem uh, random. The, uh, the emus come back. Yeah, they right? do come back they come everywhere. Back, yes. They come back in everything. Yes. <laughs> um, yes, that kind of sporadic nature of it, the randomness, but also... If you watch it a few times, you'll realize it's not just random. No, right? it's all not. these ideas. Like every idea back, leads uh, to the next idea. Yes, yes. And that's the, that's yeah, actually that's the one thing. One yes. thing. The, so the first scene that made me think about it the second time I watched it, because the first time I watched it, I was just experiencing it, kind of how I feel like he wants you to experience it at the very beginning, because mm-hmm. you're just you're watching his travel log. You know, like the first time you watch it, you're, I feel like you're not supposed to have any like grand revelations about anything. You're just watching. An interesting it's for essay, a visceral you know? and uh, emotional yeah. kind of experience. Yeah, he wants you to feel it. He yes, doesn't want you to yes. think about it the first time. But the yes. second time I watched it, I was like, damn, man. Like, he just really does get get this, like, this essence of time and death yes. and stuff like that. And I, I, I don't think I've seen a director do it better, honestly. But... Honestly, Money Call, you, I mean, oh, he, he's out there. Like, I haven't I seen enough of him, but, but I mean, they're, honestly, they're very similar he is very good. In a lot of ways, but... Um, just to stick to Chris Marker, yeah, in terms of uh, understanding how important that is, that time is not uh, time a fixed is not, concept. It's not right? relative, like people it is like relative. It, it is relative. It is like relative. People, it's not, the, it does, it's not felt the same way everywhere. Yes, yes, right? yeah. It is relative. Yes. Uh, based on how you grew up, what are your ideas about the world? How do you, yeah. what do you think happens after you die? And time, stuff? time even isn't, it's not even really like, it's not the same everywhere. Like, like even in like something like Aristotle shows that where like if you're closer to a black hole, your time is gonna be like way longer compared to Earth time or something yes, like that. You yes. know, like time's not. Is that is that how you say time is relative or it's not? It relative? is relative. It yeah. is relative. Okay. Based on where you are, right? Yes. Um, it's relative where you are. Um, there we go. Yeah, and that. but see, that's not even true. That's but that's what the part of this movie. Okay, it does. It, he's saying that that's not even true about in space or if you're a different planet. That's true where depending on what country you're at yeah depending on the people you're around and yeah. how they view time and by you know? and and as i was saying with that time of that that concept of death the second time i was watching it and him leading into it was like whenever he showed the death of the of the, of the giraffe yes. yeah right yeah. after he was yes, talking yes. about how the japanese people view death and how their their concept of death is not like they don't it doesn't hit them as it doesn't affect them as much because they're more used to it or they're they're more. They I don't say, want to say he says something like uh, the, the screen or something is very thin. Or yeah, it's, thinner it's or thinner for them. Like they, there's a thinner because because like he even talks about this with the earthquakes there. But like any time the rug can be pulled out from under you, you just have a certain like you have to live with a certain veil on reality. Like this could change at any time. Like mm-hmm. reality now is not what could be what reality could be like two yes. seconds from now. Like yes. you know like and it's not going to be the same two seconds from now honestly. But like that's honestly that was the first scene where I was like where I got the cut and like what he wanted you to get yes. from that scene. Cause the first time I watched that death of the giraffe, I was like, why do you put this in here? <laughs> like, it just seems yes. so random. No, like I was does. like, why do you put this in here? Um, it kind of seems like it's just a shock value thing, Yeah, but it is a shock. Um, it is and I think you said this earlier that I really liked. It was, a uh, all the, once you start to see what's happening, all the ideas flow easily into yeah. each other. Right. That, yeah. And the great example of that is, um, and it's kind of what makes this movie a great, uh, a poem basically you know he's a great you can tell he's a good poet is um making you feel that clash almost that juxtaposition between um those ideas like for the example you're saying between the funeral of the panda and the uh, the 
the funeral that the zoo has every year, right? Yeah. And it seems like an, a happy scene, right? But they are talking about death. Yes. They're talking about the death of animals. Yeah. And then that same idea flows into the death of the giraffe. Same thing, right? An animal dying. But it's yeah. almost a complete opposite feeling. Yes. Right? And he's saying, look at the same idea, just by contrasting two images, gave you a completely opposite uh, Feelings, reaction yeah. to the same idea, right? Uh, animals dying. One of the, That one of them made you feel happy about it. And you're like, oh, why are these people... Like, remember, because he plays it as a joke that they cried last year at the Panda Festival, yeah. and this year there's less tears. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he shows a draft getting shot, and, like, it's sad. You know, yeah. it's, it's sad. It, it is. You wouldn't, I wouldn't blame you if you cried during that, you know? Uh, and that happens constantly through the movie, all kinds of things, yes. right? The images at first don't feel like they're connected, and you're like, how does that relate to each other? You know, like, yeah. you kind of have to put the pieces... He wants you. To put the he wants you together, to put the pieces right? together, yes. Even in a different way than he would have done, done it, right? You might uh, think of different ideas than he would have had, and he would have loved that, you know? Yeah. Uh, but Luke, you haven't yeah. said much yet. I, I, I was more or less Do you listening. Like this? I, don't, I, I, I don't know how you feel about this. I was movie, listening honestly. to you guys. Honestly, this, a lot of the stuff you guys brought up, I didn't even think about. Because, like, okay, this what is. You, what, okay, what do you think about I do movie? really like this movie. Um, but not like. This movie kind of. Uh, it didn't. It's very. It's pretty fast paced, and, like,. A lot of like what it was trying to say, I couldn't really process in the moment very well. That's fair. But uh, so, really, the reason why I love this movie though is like mainly because of just all the images. Uh, they're yes, just they're all yes. beautiful. I mean, if yeah. nothing else, even yeah. if you don't understand the first or second time watching this movie, yeah. like what he's saying inside, you'll still have a great time yeah. at least watching his travel log because it is a yeah. great travel log movie. Like if you like, I feel like he's he's one of the first guys that started this travel log. Like him and Varda are kind of the, the two first that started this essay as kind of travel log type thing. Where they Rossi, just go around. I mean, have you seen Rossi, Voyage to Italy? No, I haven't actually. Oh, that was man. known as like basically the first travelogue movie. Oh, but, I um, that. It was really influential at the time. But okay. This is, yeah, Voyage to Italy. But this one, that one still feels like more narrative than even uh, this one. Yeah. yeah. Well, because like if we never had this, like, I don't want to say we would never have like anything like Anthony Bourdain did, like traveling around to like countries just sampling food and eating and stuff like that or any of these other like travel logs that are just commonplace nowadays of people just traveling around even on youtube like people just travel around yeah. and vlog everything like this is was this the original vlog who knows like yeah. this is a better vlog than the other I anyone think, else's vlogs uh, i think we talked about this even in the last episode it's interesting the contrast him and varda have uh, for their uh, you know travel log documentaries yeah like, she injects all her personality in it. you know it's a varda documentary and then marker tries to distance himself pretty much like yeah. Well, oh, yeah. Or, like, he, or he makes um, it seem like yeah, it's not. Basically, basically that's what I'm saying. But that is his personality, yeah. right? He wanted yeah. to be anonymous, like um, just different types. Of he wanted to feel like it was just a random guy going to these countries, making uh, you know, yeah. his sporadic thoughts. Yeah, and that just fits how he is as a person, apparently. Because I remember you telling us like last week how he's like how no one even knows where he's like born, and you were like sources say some sources say yes, it's yes. in like this town, some yeah, sources say it's in this town. It's just so funny, like. And you can see that through his movies for sure, but and uh, I guess I should mention this: um, the travel log aspect, the travel writing aspect. Uh, that was a there's an essay writer from France called Montaigne. Um, he's known as basically inventing at least a modern day essay, and you know a lot of French people, obviously, a lot of uh, I mean everywhere around the world are inspired by him, but marker especially in terms of how do you make a essay into a, a film essay? Yeah, right. And I guess a lot of like. A lot of the French New Wave directors are doing this in this own, their own way, but I think uh, Marcus are the best just because um, they feel like, you know, kind of my whole my whole thing this episode, I guess, is uh, they feel like poetry, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, by, like, I guess the way I put it is they feel like poetry by 
not saying, oh, this is an image, this is a sound, you know, um, but by saying, by basically using both those things almost the same way, right? Like, oh, here I'll use a sound to get what I'm trying to say. Here I'll yeah. use an image what I'm trying to say. Uh, here I'll use sound that's saying exactly something opposite than what the image is really saying. So like, what do you want me to think, you know? Yeah. Things like that. Um, I just really love how he's able to do that. Uh, basically combine all the elements to make it like, you can't describe it. It doesn't feel like a movie. Like, it's hard to describe this as a narrative movie, right? It's, because it's yeah. not. It's, but it's not a documentary. Like, I, no. I think on Letterboxd it is, it's described as a documentary, but it, it's not a documentary. The genre is documentary on Letterboxd. Kind of it's not a documentary. Like, if you're going in expecting a documentary... It's not a documentary um, you've ever watched before. That's no, no. And honestly, it's not even on the level of, like, a lot of Godard documentaries. I mean, not Godard, uh, Varda documentaries. Um, in terms of Godard... Even Vardas feel more documentary-like. So yeah. even something like yeah. this, where it's, like... Uh, just very. Like, I mean, this is literally like whenever people use the term that's that a lot of filmmakers don't like guerrilla filmmaking. Like that's literally what this is. He's not even like talking to anyone. He's just filming them. Like, yeah, like I honestly, for some of these people, I don't even know if he has permission to film them. He's just like it. Honestly, feels like a lot of the time he's just pulling the camera around, just seeing what he can see. And then if he finds someone he finds interesting, he just holds on them for a second. That's why that one frame of the lady yes. in um, oh, what country was that one? It was in Africa, I think, oh. but I can't remember which African country it was. But Guinea Bissau, I think. Guinea Bissau, okay. Yeah, yeah, but she, but she was, um, she was stare, she was not looking directly at him, but looking enough at him to where he knew that it was directed at him. And he was saying that in the movie at the time, he was like, "It's so interesting how she's looking at me, but she doesn't <laughs> glance at me long enough to make it like, to make it, to make it like known that I'm looking at that she's looking at me, but she wants me to know that yes, yes I can see yes. you." And that's why, like, whenever that one frame, the one 24-second frame of her just staring right at him is so interesting and so powerful, especially whenever he puts it in the zone. Like, everything in the zone also is, like, super interesting because he says that the zone to him is, like, where images, where they can go to just be, like, what they're supposed to be. Yes. Like, Um, these are what images um, are without the the context or something, basically. Um, Or he basically says that, because he's distorting the, the zone is basically distorting the images really badly, right? Yeah. And he says something like, uh, I actually think these images are more honest because yes. the images you see on the TV, they're telling you everything that you're seeing is absolute truth. Yes. When it's basically they're distorting the image the same way I am. At least I'm in yeah. you know, at least They're distorting this image to try to fit what they want to, yes, want yes, you to think, yes, basically. Yes. And that is very, that's a very powerful thing because that is how a lot of, especially news nowadays is done, where they try to fit certain images to what they want you to think. And it's just, I, I like the concept of the zone and him putting images in there and him thinking that this is how, like, they're truly, like, this is what true, image, true images look like, you know? Like, it takes away the lies and stuff like that. And I guess kind of related to that topic of, you know, filming, because uh, you mentioned that scene where he films that one lady's face, but just how he films different people's faces throughout the movie. Because he even mentions, I think, one point where he says, have you ever thought about how dumb it is that they teach in film schools yeah. uh, not for the ca- people to look at the into, uh, at the camera? Yeah. Because um, obviously he loves that when people yeah. look, they look at the camera. They teach actors not to look in the yes, camera yes, and how yes. just like against na- like how unnatural that is. So. Yes. Um, but he's, he loves that. And uh, to me, he's a really good example of how he uses that in his movie is uh, the scene with the train where he's just filming all the people sleeping on the train. Yeah. But he cuts it with all the japanese horror uh films yeah uh in between like almost to where like they're dreaming they're all dreaming about uh, <laughs> yeah. the japanese horror movies you know it's just a good way like the way he's kind of representing how ima- how people think of images you know like you never know what's in- the image in someone what's going on in someone's head yeah. when they're dreaming or when they're sleeping you know or 
what they're going home excited to watch yeah. all these things right the way inf- uh, images influence us and how those affect our memories and, yeah. our and, and he even but, says that and i mean like i don't know if he's like i think he actually does mention here in the in there like we don't like he doesn't know what dreams are but he definitely mentions like what if there is a like a collective dream like is this just the collective Japanese dream of, like, living in Planet Manga and stuff like that? Like, how Tokyo is just Planet Manga. Or, like, how he says... Yeah, how he oh, says yeah, that's what... How, how he uh, says they built it like that. And how it just feels like that. Yes. I don't know. How it just feels like everyone's just living in one collective dream. I can see that. Especially, I, um... If you're coming from another country and you're seeing Japan. Yeah. Like, how did Japan turn out like this? Like, how did yeah. the country come like this? Yeah. You know? And especially the way he films it. Like, uh, especially... And I mentioned this word juxtaposition, too, but... It's one of the strengths of the movie is how he hops back and forth from Africa to Japan to Scandinavia. Yeah, Iceland. Right? Or Iceland, yeah. yeah, yeah. Iceland, yeah. Um, just kind of uh, juxtaposing all three of those areas, right? The concept of time we talked about. Yeah. But also um, still being able to see how there's some similar, there's something universal almost about all three of those places, right? Yeah. The same humans living there. They have same, same similar kind of desires and goals and similar face you know yeah. people struggling to survive that kind yeah. of thing right it's the faces that that he's trying to make us all yes. connect with you know yes. like he wants us all to see like no matter what like we are kind of the same people you know like we all have the same human condition you know yeah and that's actually i do kind of like his his view on the human condition because i do like his like it like the four or for four yeah, thought, okay, yeah. like he definitely talks about the a human condition the, a lot because i like that concept this is from if i have four camels but his uh but it's related to this movie too um he has the law of the jungle or the yeah. law of the castle versus the law of the garden yeah. right? and he sees both those aspects in human wherever he goes right you can see yeah. the law of the castle or you know the big businesses and the huge buildings and the technology and everything advancing at fast pace but also the law of the um garden which uh he says and i love it's one of my favorite quotes in the five four camels but it's something like uh the law of the garden expresses itself by the most simple gestures right and yeah. it shows like a hand on someone's shoulder or, like two people holding hands right yeah and you can see all that all throughout his movies. He loves showing like there'll be little shots of craftsmen working on something, or like uh, the people, the uh, hand working on the electronic board at the end, or just yep. things like that, right? He loves watching people do like the ordinary tasks, right? And showing the similarities across the world of you know people using simple gestures, right? The law of the garden, yeah. right? Uh, yeah, I could go on and on about this. <laughs> <laughs> I spent a long there's time. So, there's uh, so yeah. there's so yes. many just different yeah. different views of the world that you can like just talk about okay. endlessly with this movie if you want before to. we end i do want to ask luke because uh, i'm curious because now me and blake have seen it a few times but you've only seen it once like do you have any negatives or not even you don't have to praise as negatives just like um hesit- what leaves you hesitant just anything honestly because we've been not, that, it it's nothing much. in follow the film okay it's just, it's just i need to watch it yeah it's, it's so, a yeah. movie yeah, it's yeah. and it's made like that. Yeah, you know, it's like if you're gonna like it, you're gonna probably watch it. And I lines, think so. this is a movie that definitely will grow with you as you age too, because it's like the more the more that you age and get more life experience, the more that you'll understand this movie. I think because yeah. it is like like there are just certain things. Too, yeah. yeah, for us for too. I, I'm saying yes, that for us yes, too yes. because I don't know what like what age is Marker at eighty three? Probably like fifty or sixty or something like that. Yeah. But like whenever you're that age, like you just have a better understanding of what the world is kind of or maybe not a better understanding but you have just a more formed version of how the world is and he shows that really well in this movie at least to me and there are going to be things that i get from this movie new things that i get every time i watch it i think because i remember born in 1921 
Dang. So that would have been, what, 60, 60, 60 or something? 62? 59. 59? Because this came out 83, you said? 83, oh, yeah. 58, then. I was, uh, I was wanting to ask you guys, do you guys have, like, a favorite shot from this movie? Oh, no. 62. 62. My favorite shot, I think, was that one second frame of the girl looking at him. That's the one that just sticks with oh, me. Okay. And I think it's yeah. the one that he wants people... I think that's the one frame he wants to stick with people, too, because yeah. he actually says that in the movie. Like, this one... 24 second frame literally encapsulated like, kind of like everything he wanted like he, he loved the movies it encapsulated that yeah my, my favorite is probably I don't know if you guys remember this one uh, it's the two Japanese people sitting in the cafe or whatever and then like the window in the back has the rain falling down it yeah. looks beautiful dude I was like dang bro. why am I I'm not remembering this but I'll have to go back and look but... or, or, or the long neck lady <laughs> the long neck lady <laughs> yeah, yeah that was cool dude that one was dope <laughs> what do you what, what do you think favorite shot um, okay, I don't know if I can pick a favorite right off the bat, but I do love. Um, there's one shot I, he just shows of two camels, uh, like the statue of these two people riding two, yeah, these two camels that I really shot. love. It's a great shot. Um, and then there's also this huge inflatable face. Um, I'm looking at it right now, but this huge inflatable face. Yeah. He's holding up this huge hand. This one. Talking about the AI. Uh... Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, <laughs> it just like because he's going through Japan, like trying to find just this cool stuff in Japan, basically. Yeah. Well, like, honestly, that's actually one of the scenes that I really like because he's talking about how does a country go from being under basically American imperialism to becoming one of the foremost technological producers in the world, or at least that's not. I don't know if they they weren't there. I don't even know if they were there yet in '83. But he was saying it like this is how. No, they, remember they this said how, he's top mentioned they have the fastest train. Yeah, this is how. Uh, yeah, yeah. He's like this is how they've this is how they've come back from from like where they were from like 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 it's honestly insane. Japan's just their fortitude and like surviving what happened to them, like dropping two nukes and then literally seventy years later they're still a top five country in terms of like GDP probably. Like it's pretty insane. Especially technologically. And that's the reason why is because they're just they they can throw away old ideals easier i feel like and just try they just try stuff new and i think that's what he's trying to get at in that scene i think he okay. says that i think okay. he says something that extent while he's uh in the essays writing him okay. for okay. that scene i think he says something to that extent because that is a really interesting that's it's a really interesting yeah. part of the movie where it he's just is, going yeah. through all the like interesting technological progress that japan has gone through and why like how this country could do it why these people yeah. you know that kind of thing and also one other scene, one other just frame that I like. Two frames put together is whenever he just films the cat and then shoots over to Hotel Utopia. Just how he felt, or just uh, oh, yeah, yes, just how yes, he feels yes, looking yes, at that's cats. Good... That's what that's what I feel yeah. like. <laughs> that, I just I just feel like that's him like saying this is what cats are. Cat Hotel Utopia. Oh yeah. This movie has a lot of layers on this. It does. Yes. Crazy. All of his movies do. Um. Anything? Any last words, Blake? Um, no, I think people should watch Marker though, because I know that you tried to make me watch him for too long, and I should have listened <laughs> earlier. Yeah. So if you're listening to this and haven't haven't oh, dived open to Marker, um, yes, because I want to talk about this at least. Uh, okay, we'll end it here at least um, by going in the future to remember the random story he tells about uh, four thousand one, the movie he wanted to make, yeah. the guy from the four thousand one coming back, because um, it kind of because uh, that character it says how he has total memory now, right? Yeah. Total recall. And how he looks back on this time, it's sad, right? Because uh, especially through the movie, a lot of it's about memories, yeah. right? And what images decide to stay with us and which images leave, right? And he, just through that little moment, he makes you think about all that thing. He right? does. Despite... And like, which would you rather live, kind of? Like, would you rather yeah, live a yes, life exactly. where you saying, remember yes. everything or would you rather uh, have a life If you, you remember everything, it. there's no memories, right? Yeah. He says something like that. It's memory anesthetized. Yeah. Um, yeah, it makes you just think about that. Like, 
we think about losing a memory as something sad, right? But what if we could never lose a memory? Then you would never have a memory in the first place. Yeah. You know? So is that sad, too? <laughs> is it sad in a way? Who knows? Yeah. We will we'll, we'll, we'll never someday know, when we have but... a new, we all have a neural leak brains from Elon oh Musk. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> He's got it. Oh, Honestly, what I want to I would love to know what Chris Marco would have thought of Elon Musk though, but he would we'll, we'll save that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right, um, but I think that's good though. Yeah, into the French New Wave. Uh, Introductory yes. to the time. French New Wave. Yeah, say yeah, sad times. So I Brilliant. think uh, I guess we'll talk about what we're gonna do next. Yes. Um, we're planning to do Robert Eggers next week. Yeah, we're just right? gonna we're just gonna do take a little short break of bigger topics and discuss a current topic of yeah. Robert Eggers and with the Northmen. Yeah, with the Northmen coming out recently. I don't think we've decided on yet. Yes, so. and yeah. then our next series will be in a oh, couple boy. weeks. But Charlie Chaplin, that's Charlie my Chaplin. pick. So yeah. there we go. I don't think we, we haven't decided how we're gonna structure it 100% yet, but we'll figure that out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Chaplin, I'm excited. It'll be a fun time. Yep. And Robert Eggers next week is going to be fun, too. Yeah, I got, in a different way. Yes, I have <laughs> things to talk about. So. Okay, okay. No. <laughs> no, I know you're really into the mythology, uh, at least the same yeah. kind of themes that he loves. So, um, All right, until next time. Yeah. See y'all later. Tu m'as trop menti Tu connaissais mon adresse Tu ne m'as pas écrit Tu m'as fait trop de peine Quand tout au long des jours J'attendais que revienne L'écho d'un plus beau jour Je ne crois plus en tes promesses Tu m'as trop menti D'autres filles à ces promesses Ont déjà dit oui T'amusant de mes larmes versées pour cet amour T'amusant de mon âme, tu me laisses à mes jours Tu m'as trop menti Je n'ai plus que la tristesse Pour croire à la vie Implorant